Hello, I'm Monica Reinagel, and you're listening to the Nutrition Diva Podcast. Welcome. Listener Ramsey writes, can you discuss the concept of food matrix and how it affects the nutritional attributes of foods that we eat? I heard it discussed on a podcast, and it seems to provide a strong rationale for why a whole food diet might be better for us. Is there any validity to this concept? In a word, yes, there is. Foods are more than just a collection of nutrients. Those nutrients are delivered in what we're now referring to as a food matrix. Now, the term is thrown around a lot these days, and it's not always used to mean the same thing. Sometimes people are just referring to the level of processing involved, but it's more than that. Jose Miguel Aguilera, writing for critical reviews in food science and nutrition, defines it this way. The food matrix may be viewed as a physical domain that contains and or interacts with specific constituents of a food, for example, a nutrient, providing functionalities and behaviors which are different from those exhibited by the components in isolation or in a free state. Translation, the whole is not always equal to the sum of its parts. Geo Thomas, Adarshkala, and Ashok Kumar, writing in the Journal of Pharmacognosy and Phytochemistry, and I'm afraid you're getting a terrifying peek into how I spend my time, they have this to say. Food matrix can be described as a complex assembly of various physical and chemical interactions that take place between the compounds present in the food. The physiological response and the health benefits of a particular compound are resultant on these interactions. So an example of a physical interaction might be the amount of fluid that fiber can absorb, which is dependent on the format of the fiber. An example of a chemical interaction might be the chemical links that form between individual starch molecules, which sometimes results in something we call resistant starch, starch that resists digestion. The format or matrix of a food can impact everything from the amount of energy that your body will extract from it, which we measure in calories, to how it tastes, to what it does to your blood sugar, to how full you feel after eating it. For example, the exact same meal, if liquefied into a smoothie, may leave you feeling less satisfied than if you had eaten those same foods in their solid form. But these are all factors that our current systems for nutritional analysis can't always catch. And this is why, for decades, whole almonds were believed to contain 160 calories per ounce based on the number of grams of fats, protein, and carbohydrates they contain. But researchers have now demonstrated that the body doesn't actually absorb all of the available calories in almonds, probably due to the fiber they contain. When processed by the human digestive system, an ounce of whole almonds appears to provide only about 130 usable calories. The food matrix also affects how a given food impacts our blood sugar. Most of us are aware that whole grains, which contain the nutrient-rich germ and the fiber-rich bran along with the starchy endosperm, have a more modulated impact on blood sugar than refined grains where the germ and the bran have both been removed. But many people don't realize that whole grains affect the body differently when they're ground into flour rather than eaten as an intact grain. The whole intact grain will generally be digested and absorbed more slowly than the whole grain flour. Now, we don't want to throw all processing completely under the bus. Sometimes processing increases a food's nutritional benefit. 
For example, while blending or liquefying whole fruits and vegetables can result in a faster increase in your blood sugar, it can also make some of those nutrients more absorbable. And some research suggests that grinding up fiber into smaller pieces makes it more effective in reducing cholesterol. But the food matrix does not simply refer to methods of processing and preparation. It also refers to nutrients in whole foods and how our body responds to them. For example, there's been a ton of debate about saturated fat and whether it does or does not contribute to cardiovascular disease. But saturated fats come in a whole lot of different matrices. For example, there's research to suggest that the fats found in whole dairy foods, like cheese and yogurt, affect the body differently than the same amount of the same fats delivered in other foods. Specifically, the calcium in full-fat dairy foods appears to have a slight inhibitory effect on the amount of fat that gets absorbed from the gut. And speaking of the gut, the food matrix also seems to affect how the nutrients in foods affect the microbiome. Adding fiber to a diet is one way to boost the health of the microbiome, but taking a fiber supplement or eating bars or cookies that have been formulated with added fiber may not have the same effect on the microbiome as eating the same amount of fiber from legumes, for example. And again, it's all about the matrix. The bottom line here is that the nutrition facts that we've all been trained to pay attention to, the ones that detail how many grams of fat or fiber or how many calories a food contains, represent a very incomplete picture of the nutritional value and benefit of a food. Two foods with exactly the same nutrition facts and even the same ingredient list may not be equivalent at all in terms of their nutrition impact. So the food matrix clearly matters, as does the way we combine foods and even the conditions and surroundings that we eat them in. And as frustrating as this may be to those of us who like to understand exactly how things work, we don't yet have a comprehensive way of assessing and communicating the impact of food matrix on our dietary choices. But you can experiment with this concept yourself. For example, although I do love a smoothie, I have learned by trial and error that the same ingredients, yogurt, fresh fruit, chia seeds, and so on, get me a whole lot further if I put them in a bowl and eat them with a spoon than if I blend them up and drink them through a straw. Similarly, I find whole grains much more satiating than the equivalent amount of whole grain bread. As I mentioned earlier, processing can sometimes increase or enhance the nutritional value or benefit of a food. So we don't want to be too absolute or dogmatic about our conclusions here. But as Ramsey suggested, our growing awareness of the importance of the food matrix does support the value of eating more foods in their whole or minimally processed state. And ironically, those are also the foods that are less likely to have a nutrition facts label attached to them. If you have a question that you'd like me to investigate, you can email it to me at nutrition at quickanddirtytips.com or call the Nutrition Diva listener line at 443-961-6206. 
And before we wrap up, I also wanted to invite you to join me for a free live workshop that I'm giving this week on how to create healthy habits that actually stick. If you've been struggling with consistency in your eating or your exercise habits, I think you'll find this very helpful. And it would also be fun to interact with you in real time. You can register for that at wayless.life slash workshop. That's wayless.life slash workshop. I'd love to see you there. The Nutrition Diva Show is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Nathan Sems with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Brendan Pika. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.